Welcome to the shame pile, where we talk about the proverbial pile of stuff your friends have been telling you to watch, but you just haven't had the time to get to. We'll let you know if you should be ashamed for missing out, or if your friends just have really bad taste. Whether it's a new movie, the latest video game, or a pop culture happening, we got you covered. I'm Conrad, I live in Los Angeles, and here today we have... My name is Robert, I am in the San Francisco area. My name is Zara, I'm in Los Angeles. Looks like I'm outnumbered here by the LA folks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's actually really nice being so close to Hollywood. Uh, I guess we can get into today's topic then. Today's topic was brought on by the unfortunate passing of Ruder Hauer at age 75. Uh, Ruder Hauer is best known for his role as Roy Batty in the 1982 release of Blade Runner, directed by Ridley Scott, based off of the novel by Philip K. Dick. In Blade Runner, Harrison Ford plays an investigator who is in charge of retiring replicants. Replicants are androids that were created by the Tyrell Corporation to expand the reach of humans into the solar system and send them out to other planets so that they can colonize. Uh, right. You know that uh, yeah. that Dustin Hoffman almost played Deckard. Like they had a list of guys that could possibly play uh, Deckard, and Dustin Hoffman was like in the running for that. So the original screenwriter um, pictures like. Uh, Robert Mitchum, Christopher Walken, Tommy Jones, and a number of people for Rick, for uh, Rick Deckard. And Ridley Scott actually wanted to go in a different direction. He was trying to cast Dustin Hoffman, which I don't know if it would uh, actually fit, but it wouldn't have been terrible. Yeah, um, Dustin Hoffman's a really good actor, and he was in his prime at that point as well. So. Mm-hmm. I think aesthetically, uh, Dustin Hoffman would have looked good too with like uh, his hairstyle, like how he has the curly hair. He uh, he would have fitted in with that time too, I think. Because uh, I think it's like the aesthetic that you're really going for when you're trying to cast a movie like that, right? Well, he's got that rugged look, but there's mm-hmm. something kind of boyish about him that may have not fit so well. Um, but I do love Dustin Hoffman and he's an excellent actor. So if he played the role, I think he would have done okay. Mm-hmm. But then again, the man... Uh, I think, yeah, Ridley Scott didn't even read the book it was based off of. So I don't know how much insight he would have gotten from just the script and trying to fit this character that Philip K. Dick was so crazy about. Like, he he actually put off making this movie because he hated every script that came to him. And the only one he liked was that last one. Well, I guess going back a little further, Blade Runner was based on a Philip K. Dick novella, mm-hmm. Dream of Electric Sheep. Philip K. Was Dick. it a novella or a novel? I'm pretty sure it's like a novel. I think it was uh, a novella as well, because uh, they actually have Philip mm-hmm. K. Dick's uh, Electric Dream on Amazon. They did a whole series uh, of his work. Oh, have on you seen Amazon. that? Yeah, I actually have watched it. It was. It's actually... I'd recommend it. It's actually a really good, uh, good watch. Uh, I'm into that stuff. So Philip K. Dick and his writing was really good. I think the first episode was uh, the guy that played War Machine the first time. Uh, that isn't uh-huh. Don Cheadle. He was uh, right. there, and it was uh, basically kind of like a inserting uh, dreams. Like he didn't know who he was, and uh, them inserting dreams to make him think he was somebody else. Uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, so I think you know, all of um, Steve Buscemi is also th- in that show. You know, I think there's something, I think we're all right here because uh, Blade Runner was actually a novella by William S. Burroughs, which, which is what the movie was based off of, the, the name at least. 
Um, but um, To Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is a novel. Okay. Yeah. You know, I might so be I confused with that. That's uh, where the confusion lies. Yeah, he's um, famous for pretty much every memorable <laughs> cyberpunk early uh, thing. Yeah. Minority Report also adapted. Yeah, Rutger Hauer was amazing. That the whole like Tears in the Rain thing was actually part of it was ad libbed, like they, it wasn't in the script, and he kind of just added it in there. And they were kind of mad at him a little bit at first for doing that, but when they went back to it, they, they were like, "This is brilliant." Uh, the whole thing about Tears in the Rain. It's like uh, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe, and then all those yeah, moments will be lost in time. I've seen uh, starships on fire on the belt of Orion. Uh, yeah, he, off the shoulder of Orion. Yeah, like things that we as humans wouldn't be able to do. Like the reason why we made replicants was to be able to like cultivate the universe, go out there and actually be able to gain the resources and take resources from the outer reach to advance our civilization. So we had to create something better than ourselves. And I think that's what uh, Ruger, uh, Ruger Howard does a really good job when he's playing like Roy Batty. He does a really good job of showing that he understands that he is better than the thing that made him before, right? Uh, and I think that's really cool. And I think that's why that's a really good uh, little saying that he did or ad lib that you're saying it was because he added it in, right? Or a little improvisa improvisation. I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm really brings it back to the characteristics of like I've seen things that you can't see and you made me so that may I feel as though I'm better and I deserve to live mm, which I, is like I the premise of the whole movie did he feel like he was better though or did he just want to live or wanted to experience or wanted to keep going and had the he felt like he had the right to yeah, so how did he validate? Or was it, or was it about superiority? I, I feel like uh, it wasn't so much superiority as this kind of tenacity for life. Mm -hmm. I, th I think he recognized his potential for yeah. greater than he was. Um, that's mm -hmm. why you know, he did what he did to try to extend his life. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's it's so sad. It's so sad that the actually Philip K. Dick wasn't able to see the entire movie. I think he saw maybe just few minutes or twenty minutes of it, and um, said Rutger Hauer was Rutger. How do you say his name? Like correctly say his name? I've Is heard it Rutger or Rutger? Because I've heard it both. Yeah. I've heard Rutger, and uh, I grew up where there was a college called Rutger University uh, around yeah. me on the East Coast. So I, I'm going with Rutger. Okay, so Rutger Hauer, uh, he said that he's exactly what he had in mind for Roy Batty. So whatever casting they did, they did it correctly by um, making him the lead for this, for one of the, for the replicants. Yeah, for the, uh, for the antagonist of the, or like, I mean, I guess you can call them the antagonist for the film, like the physical antagonist as opposed to like mm -hmm. metaphorical antagonist that was, that was the movie. Like, yeah the police and the Blade Runners were really the antagonists there, if you want to believe that their life is still valid even though they were created, right? Oh. 
So I think he does. I think he did an amazing job playing a character who you are told to think is the villain at the beginning of the movie, right? Because you had those four replicants. You had uh, Leon, who was questioned by Holden in the beginning. Then you had Zora, who mm-hmm. was the snake tamer. Then you had mm-hmm. uh, Prist, who went to go find uh, JF Sebastian. And then you had uh, Roy Batty. Yeah, which so. I, I, I wish that there was screen times were longer because I really would have loved to get to know these other Republicans. But I think Zora gets shot at the at the strip club, right? Yeah, she tries to run and then uh, it's in the, she's run. gone down the street. Yeah. And yeah. Then that's when he then Leon shows up because he saw Zora get shot in the street. They fight and that's yeah. when Rachel picks up his gun and kills Leon. Yeah, and then Chris was like second to last to go i think right yeah because she was the one that was in like the the apartment building with uh Mm -hmm. jf sebastian yeah with a toy pretending to be a toy Uh, which which was kind of fitting because she was a pleasure model and here she's surrounded by toys so she was seen as this toy and it's kind of interesting that they put her in that perspective yeah that's a good that's a good point as a like an adult play thing Mm -hmm. yeah well, yeah, I, I, thought, I thought that was a really good connection between uh, Pris and JF Sebastian too, because he liked making toys and he had like that genetic disease that was making him die at a younger age too. So he's very much like stuck in this like mentality of a younger person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was really good because then it shows that she as the adult toy uh, can also be like something that's not just that. I, I guess I'm saying this kind of weird, but like, uh, she was seen as a toy. He likes making toys. And it, it is a good parallel to show that as you grow up, what you find as a plaything could be destructive too. But another good parallel is that here's this human and he's degrading very quickly. Yeah. And here are these replicants and they, could, they have a chance or a way to live longer, but we're, you know, they're being hunted down. They're being killed. Their lives are short. Yeah, and that's definitely why he sympathizes with them and helps them out at the end and gives them all this information for like the eye comp- the eye co- the eye company that they were making eyes for like for longevity as opposed mm-hmm. to four year termination. Right. So, so what uh, do you think of uh, Oh, go on. No, so um we're now in the timeline of one it's uh what, we're in the year of the Blade Runner in Los Angeles and you're all in Los Angeles. So <laughs> wondering how accurate you think the movie predicted the future. <laughs> um, well, it did predict a few uh, companies um, going out of, uh, not out of business, but losing a lot of money. That's about as close. It's, it's, I mean, I wish sort of that it looked the way Blade Runner did, because then we'd have flying cars, but yeah, and that yeah. was a, that was a conversation I was actually having earlier today. How uh, that movie came at a really different time, like in the '60s and '70s, right? When you think about how people thought of the future of America and where we're supposed to be, it's like flying cars, jetpacks, the Jetsons. And then this mm-hmm. movie came out in the '80s, and it was very much like a darker take. It's like, well, what if the future, like it's a post-Vietnam world, right? Like all those men just went out, and it's like, well, what if the future is really not that great? What if it's like crappy? And like it's dark and everyone's kind of like playing into their vices as opposed to working together to make this super like utopian society. Uh, 
in terms of like what it looks like, I thought that that was like very serendipitous that this guy passed away in the same year that he passed away in the movie. That's pretty, that's just like some, those are some stars aligned for that. That was pretty crazy. Uh, but Los yeah, Angeles, I mean, I think we're kind of really far behind from what they were expecting or we have the possibility to do that, but how much of that was like stinted or stunted by other things like policy and stuff like that, that we didn't let go through. And stuff. I mean, the one thing we got close, we're opening a, <laughs> a pop-up Blade Runner bar. You could buy tickets to right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's pretty cool. I got, um, I got four tickets for November, so I'll let you guys know how it goes. Oh, definitely. Well, uh, do you know what part of town they're popping up in or? Uh, let me find it. It's, I know it's called the Nexus, uh, Nexus bar. Okay. Oh, that's a play on the Nexus models for the replicants. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, let's see. It's a future North themed pop-up bar slated to hit downtown LA. Um, and it starts in November. So everything is immersive and people will be, uh, in costume and you get to talk to the actors and it's fully designed in this like retro future interior um it's pretty themed um kind of i hope it's similar to a few years ago comic-con they had um they had this like pop-up warehouse where you can enter this blade runner-esque um street and uh the actors were acting and you know playing a part and you got to get frisked for being a replicant, like a possibility okay. of being a replicant, and then eat um, noodles at a Chinese, a fake like Chinese bar they had set up. It was pretty awesome. And there was fake rain and umbrellas all over the place. It was kind of amazing. But um, I don't know how not, this is going to, you know, <clears throat> match up. Those uh, kind of tie into some things they got right. Um, where um coca-cola is a major corporation like that brand is still like huge people are still drinking that stuff so that's something they definitely got right because coke is uh even in blade runner 2049 they they play a nod to it too and they advertise it in there too i think atari was a huge thing that was being advertising and gaming is not bigger than it's ever been like right now mm -hmm. so they totally got that right like they knew gaming was going to move forward so they're like let's put atari in here and uh, the new oh, is coming out uh, soon too. <laughs> yeah, so that means like the curse that the fake that curse that they had uh, is totally wrong. It's, it's I mean it's not like poltergeist level curse, but they said like the business logos that appear in the film um, shortly afterwards uh, of Blade Runner's release, some of them lost a lot of money, like Atari, Pan Am, RCA, uh, and then Coca Cola had released New Coke, and that went. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, it was definitely the time of like Pepsi Crystal and all those experimental uh, sodas and stuff like that. I didn't live through that. I never. I don't think I've ever had Pepsi Crystal, but yeah, I could see. I've never even heard of Pepsi Crystal. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to give you some sort of kidney stone or something. I think it's coming back. Uh, I think. I think it was Billy Crystal was trying to advertise, uh, like advocate for it or something like that. Like that's. I'm not even. Oh, I, of I course. Read that somewhere. <laughs> I definitely read that somewhere because we live in the retro time where bringing stuff back is still the cool thing to do. Everything's about uh, the nostalgia factor. Yeah, I had a bottle of uh, Pepsi Crystal a few months ago. Well, there you go. Look at that. I, awesome. I think in a 7-Eleven. What's the difference? Uh, it well, it's just the coloring, right? 
Yeah, yeah, pretty much tasted the same. So it's like, oh, are you yeah. adding this coloring if you don't need it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if this is. I don't know if this is true. So like, you know how the color of Coca-Cola glasses when you get them are kind of like that opaque blue kind of a, uh, or like you can see that like that blue color. They say that that is mm -hmm. the actual color of Coca-Cola before they add the coloring agents to it. Oh, fun, fun. Yeah, I mean you shouldn't drink that stuff anyway, but. Fun fact. <laughs> kind of gross. All right. Well, let me present uh, Blade Runner in a different way. Um, so you have these replicants who are illegal immigrants that uh, go to Los Angeles, and they get hunted by the cops. So does that sound familiar? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <well. laughs> moving on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess that that hits a chord with uh, current day America and what what's going on with immigrants. And I, I don't really uh, remember what immigration policy was like in the 80s and what they were scared of. Like this movie came out like, what, 82? When was Reagan president? Um, yeah, I mean, he was. Uh, he was, wasn't he like. So like, he, he was 80, like early 80s to 89 or something. Like his presidency was kind of, I think he's a two, right? Um, but before he was uh, president, he was the governor in California. So. That's true. So 81 to 89. Mm -hmm. And this movie definitely came out 82. Yeah, yeah he was governor uh, from 1967 to, to 75. Yeah. yeah. What, what were they dealing with in 82 in terms of immigration? Yeah, that's something I don't know. I don't, I don't really follow politics from that far back. That would definitely be something to look into. But I mean, we've always been scared of the illegal immigrant coming into America and taking jobs. Uh, and I think that's been a thing forever. Like even you think about back in the day, like scab workers, immigrants coming on the East Coast, the Irish, the Scottish and all those people coming through. You didn't, they didn't like them either. They were working in the industry. They were working in the factories for less lesser wages since they've come here. That's kind of like the story of America. Cheap labor has always been imported. And replicants are engineered primarily for work. Yeah, to be stronger mm -hmm. than humans, see further than humans, resist the vacuum of space, and just be all around better than us for those jobs. But we don't want them to be better than us. Like They're better, but you, they're not allowed certain liberties. Yeah, but they're better by design. Yeah. So they design them to not live as long, and that's the safeguard. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know. What, I don't know what like the current day thing for like what would be the term like not actually killing people, but like what would be the termination of being here, like a visa, I suppose, right? Like visas only work for so long if you come into the if you come into the country legally. Well, I don't know how how much it has to do with immigration. I mean, it's all, it all is on the basis of fear. It's like fear of uh, becoming obsolete yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you could totally relate that to how automation is going to take a bunch of jobs. I think that's like a way easier parallel to make, right? Like mm -hmm. replicants who are androids who just process information way better than you do what you do way easier. You know, that, that fear was... Uh, that fear came around um, a lot when we started answering phones with uh, 
these automated services and people, you know, thought that they were going to lose their jobs. But in actuality, the opposite was true. It, it kind of, their jobs evolved into something else. Mm. Um, so sometimes these, these fears that our jobs will be taken away from us is actually invalid. I'm not, it's not like a bet, like invalid that you shouldn't fear it, but people are going to fear that. However, there's always going to be some sort of job that's going to take its place or at least become something totally different. Yeah. Like uh, manufacturing jobs when the assembly line came into popularity through like the Ford motor company, right? Everyone thought it was like, Oh man, mm-hmm. all these guys are going to be completely out of work. What are they going to do? And it's like, well, they'll work the line. They'll do the maintenance for the line. They'll make sure everything runs. Yeah. They'll just have to get more skills and better skills or skills that are more translatable into a, a career mm-hmm. rather than just like an untrained monotonous screw this in screw this off kind of thing yeah or answer this phone and press this button yep yeah yep. i think it's yeah. it's been a fear for a while ever since the industrial revolution you gotta think about like uh just like cotton gins and stuff like that too like one person mm-hmm. able to be to go through like what it would take 20 people to do in a day mm-hmm. uh but back then there was slavery and all that stuff and now it's just kind of like you actually have to pay these people so that was like, I think that's ever since the industrial revolution, we've had this fear of automation. It just didn't look as sexy as it does now, you know? Yeah. Oh. Speaking of sexy, did you see Rutger Hauer and Lady Hawk? <laughs> I seriously haven't seen any other, any other film with him in it. I wasn't like a huge 80 movies buff, but like. Oh, it's so, so bad. It's good. So, uh, it's like so bad, it's so bad. <laughs> so, uh, what's, what's great is that um, without even talking about what the movie is, okay, let's get the director of Superman, um, you know, the, the big Superman from 1978, you know, the director of Lethal Weapon, The Goonies, and uh, let's make a medieval movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Let's put Michelle Pfeiffer in there and turn her into a bird. Yeah. <laughs> but wasn't what isn't your brother named after Matthew uh, Broderick's character? Right, Matthew Broderick, and I don't know if that was his first movie, but that definitely was one one of his first movies. <laughs> hmm. That's funny. I yeah. remember he did uh, War Games back in the eighties too, so that might have been before. That might have been it. Gaston is Matthew Broderick's character. Oh, yeah, Gaston. Maybe, I wonder if that's where they got the uh, character name for Beauty and the Beast. I doubt it because uh, his character in really, that movie. That's a really old book, The Beauty and the Beast. Well, for, yeah. for the Disney, how they change things. <laughs> oh, was the character in the original text not named Gaston? That sounds like a very French name to me. Yeah, I you know I never. I, I feel like it is, but uh, yeah, I don't. I he's a totally different character from the Gaston that we know from Disney. Because I think he was like this meek little monkish boy. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. He was very, very passive, and yeah, definitely not the Gaston we think. So speaking of movies like you know, the recent Beauty and the Beast by Disney or even more recent, The Lion King, reaching a level of photorealistic animation. Uh Uh-huh. And um, what do you think about the way that's headed? 
Uh, I don't know. Um, it's interesting, but I I I love uh, how traditional animation looks. Sometimes it's very charming. So as long as that never goes away, I don't have a problem with it. I, I think it's interesting in development. I think there'll always be an industry for hand-drawn uh, old-school animation, like even old-school Disney animation where they were using those different planes and zooming in with the camera and stuff like that. Like that stuff mm -hmm. has, definitely has a charm to it and it, it just looks nice and it also holds that nostalgia factor. I like the new Lion King because like not even the backdrops are real backdrops. Like all the backgrounds are computer generated and they're like photorealistic computer generated. Like none of that movie was actually filmed in the real physical world. Mm -hmm. So I think so. And then there's the, I think it looks really cool, but then there's the argument of like what they did specifically in that film for like the characters and emoting on their faces. And that's another thing like what you were talking about Zara was uh, like that charm, like Simba's face in the original, right? Like how many different faces mm -hmm. did he make and how many expressions did that character actually have in that film versus how yeah. things were delivered in this new Lion King. Like if the voice acting isn't a hundred percent on all the time, you're not going to feel that emotion coming into you from the character. You know, whereas like a raised eyebrow could indicate something to you. You have like a visual cue. Like when you're talking to a person, you always see like these visual cues and stuff like that. And You know, which I find very interesting because uh, Spider-Man doesn't have a lot of those visual cues. So they have to, you know, kind of emote his eyes very uh, cartoon-like in a yeah. way. Uh, and that was, that's a major yeah. thing from the comic books where you couldn't see his face like other people. You don't see his mouth moving, so you definitely see his eyes moving. And I think that's why a lot of people like Tom Holland's Spider-Man, not because he's better mm -hmm. than Tobey Maguire, it's just the technology to actually like emote things in his eyes are better. Whereas Tobey Maguire is really good at using his voice to like show that vulnerability and that snarkiness that Spider-Man's kind of known for. Because I don't yeah. think uh, Tom Holland really has like that smart assiness to him, like a Tobey Maguire one would have. And then He's I feel like Andrew Garfield went way too much. <laughs> yeah. So I think the eyes and like that animation of the eyes, like we were talking before, like emoting stuff with your eyes and stuff, that, I think that's super important. And I think that's why some people wouldn't like the super photorealistic. Like if the backdrops were super photorealistic, everyone would be like, wow, this is amazing. It's kind of like when you do a space scene, right? Uh, but when you have mm -hmm. characters that can't truly emote things, the voice acting has to be really good. And I think that's uh, one of the criticisms the movie really took was that uh, Donald Glover didn't do that great of a job with the voice acting because he's not a voice actor. Right. But maybe they should have gotten, uh, what's his name, Detective Tom Pikachu. Thomas. <laughs> yeah. But they're, going, they're definitely going for black star power, you know? Like it was, uh, I think the movie was pretty good with who they did cast for the names that there were like how black panther did so well because it was so true to yeah. those actors and stuff and i think this the is the casting is great but yeah yeah the casting is is great it's perfect yeah, like, um, i hear praises for beyonce like even her song is like a chart topping song now because it's it's just that good like i heard that these these people did very well and uh, like john oliver was in the film seth rogan was in the film uh Darth Vader came back to be Mufasa. How did we get off topic? <laughs> um, because, uh, we, no, it was uh, on topic because uh, we're talking about, um, you know, the um, artificial human and uh, oh, yeah. realistic animation. But uh, that kind of ties into, 
uh, the deep fakes that they're doing recently. Yeah, I, I kind of felt like. Oh you yeah, those are frightening. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's hard if technology can actually keep up to detect this stuff, because from what I've read is that there's now a huge industry with being able to detect deep fakes, because that's going to be a huge problem moving forward. Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, like, don't you get this weird feeling when you look at a deep fake, though, that it's just not right? <laughs> yeah, like their faces move a little bit too much or something like that, or like they're yeah, or like it's kind of liquidy, weird. Yeah, are their eyes just not thinking yeah, it feels correctly? Clunky. And that's because I think a lot of the deep fakes I've seen have been clips of uh, people doing other things, right? And then meshing together those facial expressions to kind of make it fit for the conversation they're actually having, right? So mm -hmm. it's like a face that would be looking left, but there's no one to their left, but they couldn't fully edit their eyes to stay center. So yeah. I think if you actually have a person that looks like the person and then you can deep fake onto their face, it'll be a lot more convincing. But I've seen a lot of early deep fakes and I think it was because they're using uh, film shorts from like different interviews that the people had. Like I saw Snoop Dogg's face on Oprah Winfrey's like, uh, like I saw that one and I was like, this is crazy. Oh, that's disturbing. <laughs> yeah. So it was like Snoop Dogg talking to uh, another, another rapper, but it was Gail and Oprah from the early 90s. Yeah, so um, a lot of these are made on, you know, computers you could buy off the shelf at the store. Um, so if we're talking about corporations using this um, and using more expensive equipment, I mean, it could get up to the point where we can't distinguish between reality and, you know, what's fake. I mean, they're already recording, uh, like, they're making copies of yourself. Like, there's this, uh, this app that you create and you talk to uh, this bot and it learns things about you and the whole goal is that when you die you'll have this copy of yourself that people can talk to oh uh, i've seen ones for voice technology where you speak and it picks up your mannerisms and then it generates your voice back to you i've seen those mm -hmm. so that, that makes you wonder like how far the edges of death or, or afterlife really are and how will that be remade in the future something we or, should think about is how can we train this app to do our jobs for us and then we <laughs> so that we um, could be obsolete and then fear yeah <laughs> no, no, I, I mean you know they're doing the job you're getting the paycheck <laughs> because mm -hmm. they think it's you <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if they, if they get good enough, but I'm sure if you're working for like an industry that is aware of things like that, they're going to have uh, things in place. Like maybe, maybe we'll go back to the old school where you can't really work from home because no one can really trust that you're actually working from home. They just think you have your deep fake doing all of your work. Yeah, and <laughs> a deep fake is joining the voice conferences and, you know, they could see them on the video. Mm -hmm. That would be funny if... Uh... You got fired because your deep fake just didn't like its job anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not putting in the effort. Yeah. Well, I don't know, man. I, that that's a good question, and I don't have a good answer for you. That's really it's thought provoking, very thought provoking, very much like how Blade Runner was very thought provoking on what it meant to be human. So sad that Rutger Hauer is dead. Yeah, gonna I mean, have to. 75, do you know what, um, why he passed? I mean, that 75 is not that old, if you think about yeah. it. 
but he is a man from a different time, you know, like smoking was cool. Drinking soda yeah. was cool. Mm. That's true. Details, just that he died at his home uh, from an oh. Yeah. I don't know. Do you so believe a... Where, um, you know, like I've seen Blade Runner, of course, over the years a bunch of times, but you don't think about watching their filmography until they pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that should change. Because there's so many talented actors from, you know, that era. Yeah. Do you think that, um, I mean, going back to replicants, do you think that Deckard was a replicant? Well, he came out with the sequel, which basically says he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't, but... Where in the sequel, he, I, I still think they left that ambiguous. I think, I, where did you think you pinpointed in 2049 that they said Deckard is not a replicant? Yeah. Well, he didn't die. True. And so if he was the Nexus 6 model, then uh, he would have had a short lifespan. But then he had a child. And, which but, they were also supposed to be engineered to not have children. Yeah, but wasn't that the purpose mm -hmm. of uh, Rachel? She was like this extremely experimental Nexus 6 model? I think um, she was supposed to be unique in that way. Yeah, like that, and that's what the premise of the second movie was, right? Like, oh man, Tyrell figured out how to create life. You know, he became what we believe to be God, like a power that only a God could have, and he gave it to Rachel. Like, that's why Rachel's bones were so important and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I think it came down to um, he was bringing back his daughter because Rachel was the doppelganger, right? Yep. So. Mm -hmm he didn't give her the short lifespan like the other ones because he was thinking of her as his daughter. Yeah. But he would also want to like keep his bloodline going in a sense, right? You know, like it's her memories, whatever her offspring would become would become his grandchild and could mm -hmm. like continue to move that forward without anyone knowing that they're half replicant, half human, or just like full replicant between two replicants that are eligible to have kids. Yeah. Well, Deckard in the book was like full on human, if I remember correctly. Like they mentioned that he was human. But then I think Ridley Scott um, insists that he was a replicant in the movie. But I don't know, Harrison Ford is, was against it for a while. And yeah, Harrison Ford thinks he's a human. Yeah. And he wanted to like to add that kind of human quality to the movie. Um, but they say, I don't know, I'm, I feel like he's a human. I, I think it But that's because I'm influenced by Philip K. Dick's book. Yeah, but I could see where Ridley Scott would want to be like, well, let's make that ambiguous because the whole, I, I think the story of Blade Runner is very much what does it mean to be human? I think that's right. what that movie is supposed to say. It's like, is being human just your memories? Is being human your ability to reproduce? Is being human just, like, what is it that makes us a human? And I think mm -hmm. by Ridley Scott, I'm going off of what you're saying. I haven't read anything uh, to, the, to back this up. But if Ridley Scott's saying, hey, I want Deckard to be ambiguous because 
that even poses a deeper question. What does it really mean to be human? If two replicants have a kid, that is that a human, is that a human life? It thinks like a human, it thinks it is human. And you know, who was it? It was Voltaire who very much said, uh, I, I think therefore I am right. So like you believe, if you believe that's what you are, you're going to become that thing. Is that what it means to be human? Mm, I don't know. Um, what they think of their, I mean, they have memories and memory is a big um, factor in this. Like with the whole tears in the rain thing, um, the whole daydreams that uh, Deckard had about the unicorn and then it was shown at the end. I mean, these are, these are thoughts and these are constructs of your reality. So is that what makes you human is what you remember or is it an overall feeling? I think if you're tying in Blade Runner 2049 uh, into the conversation, then um, mm. I think at least in Deckard's mind, uh, it's not the previous memories, but the memories they're creating together. Um, mm -hmm. Because uh, in the sequel, they bring back a version of Rachel who mm -hmm. would have all the memories that the old Rachel had. Um, but they're not the memories that they created together. Mm. Yeah. So she wasn't Rachel. Right. Yeah. And then the daughter and the daughter just having the job as a memory creator was to play on that as well. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Blade and Blade Runner 2049. Super awesome movie. Everyone should watch that. Probably one of the best movies that came out in 2018. Uh, and it kind of did the same thing that the original Blade Runner did box office wise too, right? Like it wasn't just like the super smash hit it became this cult classic. I think Blade Runner 2049 is going to head in that direction too. I think people are looking back on it now and being like, wow, it was a really good movie that we all should have watched. I, I mm -hmm. would like to see the original cut of it and it looks like it'll head in that direction as well. We'll have to wait for the full cut. <laughs> Yeah, and for uh, Denis Villeneuve to be done with uh, the new Dune that's coming out. I don't know how to oh. feel about him doing that. I don't know how I feel about that, yeah. I think that was actually something that uh, he had an option of filming before Blade Runner, or that it, it didn't come through. And then that's why Blade Runner was uh, made i don't know something about dune i don't don't quite remember the whole uh, details I, on it i think it would be cool if he gets inspired by jordorowski's dune mm -hmm. well if they made dune like a mobius comic book i would be totally up for that i'd, I'd watch it just to, to see the visuals yeah, I think visually he's going to do a good job. Like, even if you just make Arrakis uh, Vegas from 2049, right? Like, the way they did the color grade there and all of the shades of red and, like, rust and stuff like that. Like, that alone, I think, mm -hmm. he, I think he really has the vision to make a film like that. Or that was even, like, inspired by... Because he's definitely known... He definitely had to have known he was making Dune for a while. So he was yeah. like, let me show off some of what I'm going to do in Dune in Blade Runner to see how, it, how people like it or how it picks up. I definitely think that's what went down there. Uh, I think it would be really cool if they went with some different aesthetic for Dune. Some, something like Mo Mobius's work where it's, uh, it's kind of like 
there has a lot of simplicity, but a lot of these like splashes of bold color and um, clean lines. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that would work really well uh, in the dune landscape. One thing that um, works uh, me about um, dune is I'm looking at the writers of the new, uh -huh. of the new dune screenplay, and we have Eric Roth. He was known for Forrest Gump, The Postman, The Horse Whisperer, Ali, and Benjamin Button. And I'm like, why was he chosen? Or the other writer, uh, John Spades, who wrote Prometheus. Uh, okay, so he wrote Doctor Strange in Passenger. Okay. And uh, The Mummy That Bombed from 2017. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. Who, do they have the actor here for the Dune remake? Or? What? Zendaya is in the new Dune? That's crazy. She's getting a lot of work. Mm. Who is she even playing? That's pretty crazy. Jason Momoa. I think when I saw Jason Momoa get casted, I was like, oh, that's, that's an interesting one. Yeah. yeah. Working with Batista again. Yeah. Oscar Isaac. Okay. Which I think Batista did a really good job in 2049. Like that opening scene was very good. So I think he has the capacity to give a good to give a good performance. He's just an overall cool dude. Yeah. But this this seems like a very bro version of Dune so far. I I love Jason Momoa. I would watch a film with him on mute. <laughs> yeah. I mean they have scars. Uh, they have a scars guard in there. So yeah, and they good. got. They got Josh Brolin in it, and he's having mm -hmm. this resurgence. We're having like all we're missing is Keanu Reeves. Aw, <laughs> Keanu somewhere in here somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and Sting. And Sting. I mean, I think mm -hmm. overall it's going to be a really good production. They got Hans Zimmer for the music, so that's always good. Musically, it's going to come together. I, th I, I'm very hopeful because the original Dune was one of those movies. I'm only what 20, 27 years old, so I saw Dune because my dad had it on VHS or something like that. So being a kid and like walking into a room and seeing them doing like their simulated fights, and they have like the polygon shields on, like where it's just mm -hmm. a bunch of rectangles protecting their body. Like seeing that as a kid tripped me out, and I was like, "Yo, this movie is amazing. This is like better than Star Wars." It's so long. Like the, I mean, the book itself is just this one big space opera with so many names. It's like, it's like the science sci-fi version of a Russian novel because you're trying to keep up with who is this, who's that. Yeah. What's and, happening? There's a there's a YouTube channel that does a really good. It's a ideas of an ice of ice and fire. He's a guy that really likes Game of Thrones, but he also does like Dune coverage. Uh, you can mm -hmm. go and he has like these YouTube videos where he just goes through the synopsis of the books and gives you like character maps and how they're all connected and like how Paul, oh, that's pretty cool. how Paul gave birth to like the God King that was uh, the guy that controlled all the spice melange on uh, Dune after Paul passed away and how he became like this omnipotent being in that universe and how uh, it's, it's so good. I'd recommend it. It's ideas of ice and fire. He's a really good YouTube channel. Like if you're just late at night laying down to like, 15 to 35 minute videos of him just talking dune and they're really well done he like reads he reads specific excerpts from the book and gives you like 
further background on why the what those character motivations are to do what they're doing. Like, do, I think awesome. Dune is going to be done very well. I'm really hopeful for Dune. Uh, well, let's let's hope. Um, I'm going to be skeptical, and I'll set my expectations a little bit low. But I hope it's I hope it's great. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, but Dune is another great '80s movie that like Blade Runner. It's another great 80s movie that I'm really glad I saw as a kid. And, or I'm glad I had a dad that was really into like sci-fi stuff. I don't know what it is about the movie, but it made me crazy. <laughs> like, the whole like spice thing. I, I have no clue why. I still remember it as cinnamon. Well, I mean, yeah. And, and Dune's a hard sale. It was a hard sell for back then, right? Like I even think about it like uh, when I think about The Matrix or something like that, right? Like if you think about the storyline of The Matrix and when that was released in like American culture, like that's when computers were first starting to get like be a big thing. And like space travel and space movies were a brand new thing. Like Star Wars had just created this entire market of people that were looking for like these space operas to go watch and stuff like that. So like- I don't know. Dune was definitely a hard sell where it was like, we're talking about like made up religions that are supposed to be like the same as our religions and uh, you know, how people kind of like hold on to certain ideals and stuff like that. And then like you add this big thing of like giant worms on a desert planet to get this spice that allows hyperspeed space travel. Like that's a hard sell. So mm -hmm. it Well, also like the movie itself was kind of a mess. I mean, it was kind of unstructured and at times. I mean, it's a David Lynch film, right? Yeah, but, you know, that's, that's the general consensus of why people didn't like it. They're like, it's kind of incomprehensible. Um, but I don't Remember know. Remember in Beetlejuice when they tried to leave the house and they opened the door and they, like, entered Dune World? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good connection. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, um, what are we coming up at an hour or so? Probably uh, closing thoughts. Mm, closing thoughts. Uh, well, you will be forever missed like an hour. And um, I don't know. What other thoughts are there? <laughs> So I'll be watching uh, Lady Hawk, which I haven't seen since I was a small kid. So I don't even remember a lot of details from it. Yeah, maybe do it a little bit high yeah. <laughs> or a little bit drunk. Yeah, for me, it's uh, Rest in Paradise, Roy Batty. You know, uh, it definitely was one of the first films that really put me into the mindset of thinking critically about who I am as a person and things that I see around me. Uh, it's also like inspired one of my favorite films, which is like Ghost in the Shell. So I get like really good big vibes from there over there. And he was one of the first characters watching where it's like, I thought he was a bad guy at the beginning. And then it kind of like made me think and be like, well, is he really that much of a bad guy? So he has like a special place in my heart and my mind showing that, you know, not everything is so black and white and not everything is just a duality. There's a lot of gray. So it was mm -hmm. pretty impactful. Uh, like when I read that news, I didn't know how hard it would hit. It wasn't like I felt like I lost a friend, but it's like, man, I feel like I lost a really good character that gave me a lot as a kid. Mm -hmm. yeah. So RIP, man. 
I'll, yep. I'll need to uh, add hobo with a shotgun to my list as well. All right, right. All right. Okay. I think well, that's it for the shame pile. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining. I look forward to the next shame pile and adding more to the shame pile. Yeah. All right. See you, Robert. Yeah. Bye, Conrad. Bye. Have a good day, guys.